0: We are back, and in Hour 2 of Ariva Martin in Real Time, we are talking about artificial intelligence, what it means for folks like illustrators, designers, artists, and photographers. Is generative AI going to replace the jobs of folks who have uh, dedicated their lives to being creatives? Uh, joining me in this hour is Mohar Chatterjee. She is a Republican, reporter at Politico, and she broke a story about California and the signing of an executive order by California Governor Gavin Newsom to basically get ahead of AI so that the state won't be shocked by what it means for its workforce. Thank you, Mohar, for joining me in this hour. Uh, Let's talk about California. What exactly does this executive order uh, do? What does it direct the members of Governor Newsom's cabinet to do.
1: Right. So I will tell you that this this order essentially directs how California deals with generative AI. When I say California, I mean their state agencies. Uh, Essentially, the, the order seeks to set procurement standards for how the government acquires generative AI from industry. It talks about how they should start to understand some of the risks and opportunities uh, associated with generative AI. It's, it's really a first step, as, as the California governor has said. And I can tell you from my reporting, what they're really hoping this executive order does, they're hoping it Acts as an influence. It acts as a standard setter for private industry hoping to work with the government. Um, the, the California government in particular, especially on generative AI.
0: Now, I, I read a quote where I believe it was the governor said AI is the, the next internet. So is there any concern about you know how big is this going to be? I, I think most people have. If they weren't familiar with artificial intelligence, they probably now have heard about it in the context of the Hollywood writers and actors strike. It comes up a lot as being one of the sticking points in terms of negotiations where writers are concerned that they won't be needed, that generative AI will write TV scripts and movie scripts. And even actors are concerned that their name, image and likeness will be used uh, in a way that, you know, they don't have to show up on every. Film project, every uh, episode of a TV show, because there'll be uh, a robot type person using this AI. Is that a part of you think was driving Governor Newsom to you know direct
1: the state to get ahead of this? I'll tell you this: I know they're in conversations with labor unions, but that is not the focus of this executive order. But you do a, you're actually bringing up a very important Point: point. there are some. Big picture questions with AI that remain unanswered, right? How are people going to be compensated for their data? These are questions that are playing out at the federal level, and honestly, this is a this is a question of people kind of in power, people in power, politicians, policymakers picking their lanes and kind of picking off what they can control. One of the things we know that the California governor has done is they are trying to control what they can control, which is the state government's use of AI. But the question of how industry decides the incentives of who gets paid, who gets to profit, who gets to benefit from artificial intelligence's big rollout right across the US, across the world, those remain unanswered. Those are questions that um, are currently underway in the Senate Judiciary Committee through the U.S. Copyright Office, the questions of likeness that affect the entertainment industry. You know, we're still figuring out whose jurisdiction that is. Um, So, yeah, no, this is a this is a question that is on top of mind for people. And honestly, policymakers are trying to figure out how to address it. We don't We don't have a blueprint for this uh, as much as the White House has an AI uh, Bill of Rights on, on the big picture scenario.
0: I'm sitting here thinking about some of those congressional hearings where uh, the CEO of Facebook and some of the other big social media platforms have been hauled into Congress and they have to answer questions before these legislators. And the legislators are asking them like all the wrong questions, they don't understand the answers. And we have these laws that many people think are flawed, like the uh, waiver of liability or the immunity of liability for some of these social media uh, you know, platforms. They're, they're not yes. liable for the content that is posted on their sites by third parties. Many people believe that, you know, that that's an outdated law and that there should be more responsibility or accountability for the social media companies. So I'm just wondering with AI, Are we doing enough? And is this step by California a step in the right direction to get ahead of some of these big thorny questions so that we're not 10 years out now regretting this uh, legislative scheme that basically leaves the social media companies without any level. Some people believe of accountability for hate speech and bullying and all kinds of other speech that has become so prolific on social media sites.
1: So you're referring to Section 230 protections for speech on on, on the internet. And uh, I will tell you that in Congress, there is a bipartisan bill that has been introduced to remove Section 230 protections from AI-generated material. Um, and I'll also tell you this, it is one of many AI legislations that the federal Congress is considering. However, it's a divided Congress. We don't, e- they're, they're, we don't even know what's going to get to the Senate floor, to the House floor. It's we know that congress has a has a tough time matching the pace of technological uh, improvement so the questions you're you're asking on whether the california governor is doing enough i'll say the california governor is is picking his battles on what he can do but those big picture questions of the underlying economic incentives right those again they're playing out on the federal level right? And those are Senate judiciary questions. But when you get to that stage, there's so much back and forth on what gets to go to the Congress, who gets to vote on it, that we honestly don't know if we're going to be able to to see that that economic incentive materialize in real time.
0: Why was it so difficult uh, for our government to hire, bring on the experts? I saw Netflix was advertising a job for an AI specialist. They were going to pay like $950,000 a year for this specialist to come on and presumably help Netflix figure out how it could cut costs and use AI to presumably do some of the tasks that they are now paying humans to do. So how Mm -hmm. come we don't see the state of California, the U.S. Senate, the U.S. Congress bringing on some of these same high-level Uh, You know, deeply talented, deeply knowledgeable individuals, so that we're not fumbling, you know, our thumbs and trying to figure out something that could have such a profound impact on pretty much every aspect of our lives. You saw the story about college admissions Mm -hmm. or college students in this go round of college admissions using Chat GPT to write their uh, applications and to write their
1: essays. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you this. If it feels illegal and it's not illegal, then it's probably a question of the issue outpacing our legal precedent, right? So in in the technology industry, things move so fast that there's often like nothing that that sort of lets us have a, a shared blueprint of when something you know feels wrong and we need to act against it. So to the to your question of, you know, is why? Why isn't government sort of keeping up with the pace of private industry hiring AI uh, consultants? Well, it's not like they're not trying. They're trying to educate themselves faster than they've ever moved on technology. They're trying to learn from the mistakes of of social media. But even though this is the fastest we've seen Congress move, it's it's still it's it's still still. And I'll, I'll point out one other thing, and this is an important thing to note: there is the notion of what states can do versus what is in uh, in federal government and i'm i'm talking here about dc what's in dc's jurisdiction to do that fight over who gets to pick what is really important because if you have a bunch of states passing different laws about what you know is permissible with ai then you have eventually industry saying hey federal law you shouldn't you shouldn't like um like there's a there's a patchwork system essentially that's the word that gets used there's a patchwork system and so you're kind of galvanizing this entire system of lobbyists on st- on the state level versus the federal level. And then you're coming into this notion of a gridlock of, 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 um, you know, trying to pass a law at all. So, again, going back to the power play that's happening here, you have Gavin Newsom trying to establish influence over the AI industry by Try, by setting some rules around how the government should engage with generative AI by making, by doing studies on on the uh, uh, vulnerabilities of uh, uh, communities to generative AI and that's what they can do right now it takes a lot for the policy making apparatus to move right, um, and, and that's kind of the fear with AI activists that's going to take something big for, for law to move So do you see other states looking
0: at what California is doing and saying, hey, we need to get our act together. We need to get on this train. We need to create uh, some of the same policies, rules, regulations, protocols that California is doing Are you seeing movement like this in other states?
1: There are plenty of states that have introduced AI legislature in this uh, session. And by this session, I mean 2023. I'll say this, by signing an, an executive order through the governor's office, California, believe it or not, is kind of ahead of the curve. And that kind of speaks to the state of tech policy in the U.S. in general. Um, there are other states that are making headway on other issues. For example, Washington state is has um, laws on, on uh, how AI can be used for election disinformation. Um, but on, on the congressional side, weirdly enough, there is a parallel with Senator Gary Peters trying to pass laws through the Homeland Security Committee. Um, but Long, long, long story short, California is kind of ahead of the curve on this, I'm afraid. Well,
0: we're not surprised. Uh, you know, the mm-hmm. saying is as California goes, so does the rest of the nation or so goes the rest of the nation. Be interesting to see, as you said, what uh, happens as a result of this this executive order, this study that has been commissioned by Governor Newsom in terms of how the state state agencies uh, may use generative AI I think the big question for so many people still is around what does that mean for my job what does that mean if I am the you know I, I have a job where I write college essays for kids and now they're going to chat GPT getting those essays written in like seconds if not minutes you know or are we replacing or displacing huge swaths of our labor market and mm-hmm. You know if, if they're not if I'm not writing essays for college students, what am I going to do for a career? And I think that's the the big elephant in the middle of the room. So many people are afraid that AI is coming for them and coming for their job. Thank you so much, Mohar, for your great reporting and that story in political about California leading the way uh trying to get ahead of this AI generative AI uh, technology because this train has left the station stay with us when we come forward talk to we're talking to some black creatives about what generative AI means for them and the work that they do right here in KBLA Talk 1580 we are and in this hour we are talking about artificial intelligence and the impact that it has on Particularly, creatives, human creatives, and are companies using generative AI instead of hiring human artists, illustrators, designers, and photographers? And what does the proliferation of apps like Chat GPT mean for creatives and all kinds of folks who uh, make their living, you know, creating either content or music or visual? Uh, Content. So joining us in this section, in this hour, is Dulce Beira. Beira. Uh, She's a tech blogger and digital creator. And Charles Babb, he's a creator-producer of Tech Lemert. Thanks, Charles, and thanks, Dulce, for joining us in this hour. Really interesting conversation uh, with a reporter from Politico about California and this executive order from the governor, basically uh, directing his staff to study the impact of generative AI on state agencies. I want to get from both of you your experiences. There are lots of stories on the Internet of like songs that people thought were made by Drake going viral, uh, lawsuits that have been filed by creatives uh, b- claiming that their images were stolen and replicated and they weren't compensated for the use of their images. So let's start with you, Dulce. What has your experience been like with generative AI?
2: Um, So I've been working with generative AI, pretty much all of the tools that have been available um, throughout alpha and beta stage now for about two years, um, really heavily. Um, I got lost in mid-journey for quite a while and got inundated with the abundance of variations that I was able to create of art and different types of art and um, as i worked in it i've noticed that there's a signature to some of these tools so it's very easy for me to tell based on uh what the output looks like what tool actually generated that and um but it's actually getting better you know the different versions of these um uh, frameworks and these different um platforms like stable diffusion and uh, runway and uh, different ones that include 3D um, avatar mesh or 3D objects in it as well that allow you to map around on 3D objects. Those things are becoming very popular right now. People are using them and they're now using them to do things like deep fake and, um, and uh, transfer over a style or a look from one thing to another to make to make it seem like it is something that it isn't and that is a little scary um, for people who don't really understand the tool sets or don't understand how the tool sets work um, and are can also be easily fooled um, based on whatever their bias may be or their belief systems are um, and then they could like pro- proliferate that as uh false information or misinformation across the internet and it takes smart people like us to be like no that's not right you know um, so I work with startups that are um, making tools that could detect those things Mm. to help figure that out for you to make it easier for you to filter and say okay this is actually AI and in fact um, you've got a lot of that filtering into Meta's platform at the moment. I've been seeing that heavily right now in their threads platform as well as in the Facebook platform where somebody will post a picture and then it'll it'll have a little disclaimer and say, nope, this is actually generated with AI. Uh, just be careful. Yeah. So there's safeguards happening. We have to be more aware. Um I can I would love to go deeper on a on a deeper subject that as as it impacts uh the black and brown community, but I let Charles, yeah, talk I, about right. definitely, I, I definitely <laughs> want to talk about the impact on Black
0: and Brown communities. Let me start by letting Charles jump into the conversation, though. Charles, have, have your experiences in general been positive or negative with generative AI?
3: My experience has been overall positive with generative AI. They're just tools that people can use to actually improve the performance of what they're working on, the task they're working on. Be that a, a, a letter, a movie pitch. There's a number of things you can use generative AI for. You can actually put together a whole entire presentation of generative AI. You can actually run through every slide and then actually generate every image that you need for it and get a really solid uh, a product out of it. And I think that's one thing we that it's positive that we have these tools. We just have to know how to read them. One thing we don't have is an internet literacy class. Like, everybody jumps on the internet, and everybody thinks the internet's a real place, and it's not, and they don't know what's real or fake. It's better if we have people hop on the internet thinking that everything is fake than trying to discern if something is real or not.
0: But do you have any concerns, uh, Charles, about big companies like, you know, the the strike now, writers and actors, a big part of the negotiation sticking points is around the use of AI. So you said you can write a script, you can write a letter, you can do a whole presentation with AI. But if I'm a company and I used to hire you graphic artist, you content creator, you writer, to create a presentation I needed to give for, you know, as a company, and I can do that through AI, why am I going to hire you? So am I, you know, are we going to see folks like you displaced because AI can do the job?
3: When you look at generative AI, it's multiple voices coming together to make a product, and that usually shows up in the work, as Dulce was saying. You can point it out and see it. If you hire a good writer, they can create a script with generative AI, but they'll go through it personally and re-edit that script to have their singular voice, to put their signature on it. Generative AI will not have an individual's touch on it. It will have a bunch of individual's touches on it, and it it shows up really rather, rather easily.
0: I I hear you, but don't say I heard I've heard writers say again, members of the uh, writers guild say a show or production company that maybe would hire 10 writers now hires one to go through that generative AI produced script to do just what Charles said, to give it that personal touch. So although it doesn't eliminate all of the jobs, it substantially reduces the number of people needed to perform that task. Is is that concerning at all to you?
2: It's concerning to the degree that um, the system in which facilitates that kind of work environment that like crams writers into small spaces and forces them to crank out content, just constant content that um, potentially will just be mind numbing to some people and, you know, not necessarily be uh, of value other than it's just playing in the background? Um, Or should we now see that there's this new tool set that can free up some of the time for these writers, some of the more creative people to then pitch their ideas, flesh it out, and get a, a better consensus of how to build a model around their content, so that the, then then this content can grow and learn and build with whatever the intention of the creator of this world builder is. So if they, it's a different mechanism. They should be thinking about upgrading the the writers' room with AI versus trying to downgrade the writers themselves or uh, replace them completely with an AI that does not have any kind of connection whatsoever with what real relation, human relations are all about. I mean, you're going to have to have a person always touch it at some point, e- including the visual AI, um, both video and, uh, and still images in order for them to look like it's, like it had a human. It's going to have to be worked over by a human.
0: But I I guess I I have so little faith that capitalism and big businesses are going to heed what you said, which is rather than use AI to replace, use it to upgrade. I mean, think about all the jobs that we already see that have been replaced by technology. Go to your local grocery store. There's hardly a clerk in the grocery store. It's all self-serve. Amazon opens stores where literally there are no employees. Everything is you know, managed by technology, parking lots. I mean, we just think of so many jobs that used to be done by people that have now been done by technology. So, And when I see Netflix advertise a job for $950,000 for an AI specialist, I don't think that's to help, you know, boost their existing content creators as much as it is to figure out ways how to use AI to replace them. Uh, When we come forward, do want to talk about the impact of AI on black and brown uh, creative, uh, the black and brown creative community right here on KBLA Talk 1580. We are back. And in this hour, we are talking about the impact of artificial intelligence, generative AI on the black community, particularly the creative community. So, Dulce, you said you had a lot to say about how AI is uh, impacting the black community. Talk to us.
2: So um, I'd like to actually address what you were mentioning earlier about capitalism and how um, AI could be exploited through uh, the big tech companies. Um, I think that one thing that we need to remember is the generative aspect of all of this, the variations and the abundance that comes through that. Um, The more you make variations, the more you have content, the more you're under the weight of this content. Um, They're going to realize very quickly that a lot of this can't be metered, Um, especially since most of these uh, AI models are open source and available to anybody. Um, I'm teaching my sons who are in their early 20s how to create their own AI models based on their own data sets for music videos so they can make their own music videos or to even um, come up with some different sound libraries that they can use in their music. So teaching how to use these things to enhance uh, what you already do or the creative kind of pipelines that you already work with, I think is very imperative right now to show people and also to um, illustrate how uh, it's not under the control of one particular entity or multiple different entities you can take your own and build for yourself off of these. It's always been that way. It's, it's the way of the Internet. The web has always been this way. Um, it's only been recently that we've been funneling it through big corporations like X and um, Meta and TikTok or ByteDance, whoever these big corporations are. They're the ones that are trying to force us to think that we have to force we have to go down their funnel. But we don't. Um, there's a thing called WebXR. I'm a spatialized technologist and I push WebXR and WebXR is the tool set to make your own metaverse on online and have your own, uh, VR and augmented reality, virtual reality kind of experiences online. And you could do that with a website and a domain name. Um, just know how to JavaScript and and uh, HTML, and you can build that. So,
0: so Dosa, you just said all these things that everybody can do that are so simple, and you use about twelve or fifteen words. <laughs> I got two of the best degrees in this country, and I don't know what you were talking about. So, I'm a that my 92 yeah. year old who watches and listens to this show is as lost as I am. So, to Keep you, it's aware very of it. easy yeah. and very simple, but to the average internet user that just goes on, check their Facebook, just check their Instagram, post a picture. It's not, it's intimidating and it's, it's very scary uh, to us. And, you know, you sound incredibly learned and you know, I, I this well, it's is not, it's not too
2: scary to Gen Z, a lot of Gen Z and a lot of Al Gen Alpha. I have to tell you that. I'm um, they're pretty digital native with this stuff, and a lot of them are not posting their personal stuff online, even though they are consuming TikTok and they're going through the doom scrolling of TikTok and they're sharing the memes and things like that. They're very rarely posting any personal co- th- uh, content unless they are trying to be an influencer and they're trying to get go go viral and blow up and they have a niche and they figured out what what their little niche is that they can they can do you what know What does
0: that mean for the rest of the world? Gen Zs aren't the only people in the world. I'm thinking about a lot of these writers uh Charles and actors that I see out on the picket lines that a lot of these folks are not Gen Zs. These are baby boomers, these are uh old stage or old age millennials, so you know the world is bigger than just Gen Z. What does that mean for the rest of the world?
3: I think they will adapt like the way that writers adapted from the typewriter to the word processor into like Microsoft Word to Google Docs. I mean, it's just another tool. like we went from writing letters and sending contracts through couriers and email, and couriers and mail to actually sending through email. It speeds but up if, the problem. You know
0: I mean? If you guys suggest that this this is a great tool and tech, I love technology. And yes, you're mm-hmm. right. We used to have to pay people to pick up things and deliver them for us, and now we can, you know, shoot a quick email. But then, why are the writers and why are the actors? Why are they saying we are nervous, we're worried, we're concerned? Not just the nervous
2: writers nervous. and the actors. It's it's the lawyers. It's the coders. It's oh the no, that's not
0: true. You, it's-
2: oh yeah, no back.
0: you could see the writers themselves I have writer friends that have been on this show we've,
2: but no we've but, 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 but but I'm saying that lawyers and and programmers are all shaking in their boots too I go I go to I go to programmer conferences and everybody is shaking in their boots about AI because you can now easily use chat to write an app you don't need to hire a, a hundred thousand dollar developer to crank out an app for you anymore now you can do it, and you can test. You but can that's my it very point. It. That's yeah. my point.
0: So if yeah.
2: Sony doesn't need to hire a programmer
0: because they can crank out an app, what does that mean for these writers and actors who are not, you know, the the mega stars, the, the you know, the, the working actors, uh, and some of these studios that are, in, in their opinion, and the opinions of the writers and actors trying to exploit their name, image, and likeness and, and not compensate them fairly for it. it.
2: It means that things are fundamentally changing. And, yeah. and we really need to step back and think about morally and ethically what this all means for everybody included. Um, I was at a, at a conference where somebody asked, what happens when this gets into the wrong hands? And we all collectively said, it's already in the wrong hands.
1: hmm <laughs> that's <It's>, scary <laughs> yeah. no it's
2: the truth it's the truth and now it's just about giving it to everybody and to making making sure it can get into everybody's hands
0: before we run out of time I do want to talk about the impact on the black community Charles what do you think AI does it have any particular impact on the black community different than other communities
3: uh I would say no what it can do is give you a leg up if you choose to learn it you can choose to learn how to create your own AI or work with a bunch of AIs, it can give you a leg up on things. It's kind of like you can ignore it and watch it take take your job, or you can take part in it and enhance your probability of doing a job. You know. Right, so
0: great point. Great point. What what do you say to that, Dulce? Do you we think need, it yeah,
2: has an impact on the black community? We need more black voices and we yes. need more black representation and we need more black imaging i use these ai models all the time and and they're so asian eurocentered um the feedback and the, the way that and they'll turn black people into asian <laughs> and eurocentered people which is a whole another thing about digital blackface that i'm so like passionate about like how uh people from asia and europe are using black culture and selling it back to blacks in digital form in a way that is like there's no control the real community has no control over that message or its representation and and then you have big corporations that are aligning with these uh fakes these yeah
0: how do we get charles more black voices that's a great point do so how do we get more black voices uh, so that the images are more reflective of our
3: you know black community uh we have we have to actually market these tools to black people we have to market have workshops and invite people in. People are scared to try technology, they're scared of technology initially until they try it.'m like, oh, this is easy, then they get it. People care to forget. Facebook was foreign to people, MySpace was foreign to people, and people stayed away from it. Then, when people started realizing you can make money off of these platforms, they got involved with it. Right. Instead of being behind the curve, we should be in front of the curve. Mm-hmm. And that means we actually, there's YouTube. YouTube's the greatest university in the world. Anything you want to find to do is right there.
2: And Tech Limer- the conference, Tech Mar- yes, yes, the conference that we're doing in September on the twenty. Tell us
0: about yes. tell us about Tech Mar- uh Dulce.
2: Uh, well, it's a conference that will be happening um, with in Lamarde Park, and it will be focusing on the convergence of entertainment, technology, and community, um, and how that bridges all together, um, helping people find work, uh, entrepreneurship, mentorship. Uh, just showing that these these tools are available and what these tools are and inspiring people to get more involved.
0: No, great. Uh, Where can we find, uh, Charles, more information about that conference? Is there a website or something? Yes,
3: there is. Uh, TechLimert.com or BlackToTheFutureLA.com is directly to the conference. The conference is September 22nd through September 24th. And the big day is the 23rd, which is in tech
0: So if you don't live in Los Angeles and most of my audience does not, Mm -hmm. where can they get information similar to what's going to be available at this conference?
3: Black to the Future. What was that they'll say?
2: The Black to the Future website.
0: Yeah,
3: Black to the Future, uh, Black to the Future LA. They can actually go to Tech TechLamert's website. We may stream some of the conference talks to the website or have them up there later for people to watch. We'll definitely have highlights for the conference. But we also plan to have workshops and panels and other lectures throughout the year coming into 2024, 2025.
0: Well, thank you. We are out of time. Thank you, Charles. Thank you, Dulce, for what both of you are doing to educate our community in particular about technology, how to use it to enhance what we already do and avoid being replaced uh, by technology. I love that. And you're right, there is a lot of fear And the best way to deal with fear is just to walk right into it and embrace it. Uh, So we're going to look forward to that conference that's coming up. And folks who are not in Los Angeles, make sure you check out that website so you can get this valuable information. Next voice that you hear will be Robin Ayers and the Raw Report. Don't touch that Dow right here on KBLA Talk 1580.